the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode. We're sure happy to be with you. Thanks for tuning in. Yes. We are now in that wonderful season of the year, the liturgical season of Advent. New liturgical year. That's Happy right. new liturgical year and such, whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> I always feel like I stand out a little bit as a Catholic during Advent because it's where I feel so in contrast to kind of the the secular world that has started right. celebrating Christmas already on November 1st, practically, with right. decor and music and, um, you know, their Christmas parties during Advent. And, and yet in my heart, I am grateful for our churches that still don't have Christmas decorations because we're not in that season right. yet. And I feel that within me. So what is one of your favorite things about this season? I love the O antiphons. I, I brought it up here on my phone. I wanted to share some of these O antiphons. Um, the O antiphons, this is on the USCCB website, that means the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, says this, the Roman Church has been singing the O antiphons since at least the 8th century. They are the antiphons that accompany the Magnificat Canticle of Evening Prayer from December 17th to the 23rd. Uh, so December 17th says, O wisdom of our God most high, guiding creation with power and love, come to teach us the path of knowledge. December 18th, O leader of the house of Israel, then the 19th, O root of Jesse's stern, O king of David on the 20th, O radiant dawn on the 21st, O king of all the nations on the 22nd, O Emmanuel, our king and giver of the law on the 23rd. I What I love about the O antiphon is it's such a primordial expression of longing. Mm-hmm. You, you, sometimes you, you're, you get in touch with this ache for God, and all you can do is kind of groan. Yeah. Uh, kind of let out an oh, 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 like oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the that's the O antiphon to me. Uh-huh. And nobody doesn't. Oh, I mean, think of how many times uh, before I give an example. Think of how many times in like secular pop songs, uh, the vocalist will just let out an. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. and nobody does the O antiphon in secular music as well as Bono. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of so many examples, but um, like with or without you, whoa, oh, you know, it's just this cry of the heart. Yeah, uh, it's it's a way the O antiphon, and this is what Advent is. Advent is the season of longing yeah. for the coming of the bridegroom. It's the bride's longing for union with her heavenly bridegroom. Mm -hmm. And that calls forth from the bride a deep, oh, oh! (laughs) That's That's, how I see the O antiphons. That's That's why I love them. That's beautiful. I loved how you were just first talking about that prayerful, just, oh, of a groan. But then linking that is the prayer of Advent, that that longing. That's really beautiful. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. We've sung it so many times Mm -hmm. in Advent. We kind of goes in one ear and out the other, but it is a song of aching longing. Mm. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Yeah, let it be. 
We have some questions. I do have questions from listeners. Thank you, listeners. Thank you all for the questions you've submitted. And, you know, sometimes the questions aren't appropriate to go on our podcast, um, but we're praying for each one of you and hope that the questions we do include speak to your heart, speak to the question, even if we don't read yours. Uh, this one is from a listener named Alice. She says, Hi, Alice. Alice says, I have Protestant friends who have been cohabiting during their engagement and recently announced they're pregnant. I felt myself falling into the sin of judging them without kindness ever since. Hmm. I hate feeling this judgment in myself, especially in reaction to the news of a new and good life. Do you have any advice for coping with the idea of a good new baby mm. being born in this outside of marriage situation? I I think I hear different things going on in Alice's heart. I don't want to say I know for sure, but just based on what she's sharing, I'm going to try to read into it a little bit. And first of all, Alice, the judgment, you did say it's coupled with unkindness. So, so that, yes, I would be concerned about the unkindness. I would just put that out to the Lord, say, Lord, where's this unkindness in me mm -hmm. coming from? I expose it to you. I ask for your light on my heart here. But I want to say a word about the judgment. We are meant to judge actions. We cannot judge hearts. We cannot judge motives. But we can say, and this involves a judgment, not a condemnation, which is different, right? But a judgment. And it is proper to judge this situation as not the way God would have wanted it. Mm. Uh, God does not want new life to be conceived outside of the commitment of a loving husband and wife giving themselves to one another in the marital embrace. He does not. It's not his plan. It's not his desire. It's not what is best for the couple. It's not what is best for the child. Mm -hmm. And God wants what is best for us. But clearly, God allows it. How do we know he allows it? Because there it is. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't have been if God had not allowed it. Nothing can happen without God allowing it to happen. So he doesn't desire it, he doesn't will it, but he allows it. And if God allows it, and we are to become more and more like God, then we have to come to a place of allowing it as well, not in the sense of granting it approval, but acknowledging this is part of the fallen world in which we live. How can I, instead of, you know, heaping condemnation on on that couple, instead of uh, wagging fingers or, or kind of self-righteously looking down at others, when we rightly judge they've done something wrong, how can we be a light? How can we be a healing balm, B-A-L-M, for them? Because this is a wound in their relationship. Mm -hmm. This is a wound in this child's relationship with his parents. It will eventually come out that the child was conceived before marriage. And, and even if it doesn't come out, that's in the child's soul. And I think there's already an open door in Alice's heart towards that positive approach to this negative situation in the fact that she acknowledges this life is good. Mm -hmm. Start there, Alice, and, and embrace the goodness of that life. And here's how I see it, and I think it really does reveal the heart of the Father. The greatest act of creation 
is the creation of another human life. The fact that God brings about his most stunning act of creation in some very, very bleak circumstances, mm -hmm. in some very painful circumstances, mm -hmm. the fact that God can bring about his greatest act of creation, which has the highest quality of a divine goodness about it, mm -hmm. the creation of another human life, is already a sign that God has brought good out of this bad situation. Mm. This is his nature. This is what he always wants to do. He wants to bring good out of evil situations. That's who and what he is. That's the heart of the Father. He allows evils because he can bring about a greater good. And there is no doubt that the creation of a human life is a greater good that has come about from this not good situation of a couple living together yeah. before marriage. Align your heart, Alice, with the Father's goodness there, and you will find yourself, I believe, growing and healing from wherever that unkindness mm -hmm. and kind of condemning spirit might come. And I, I want to also commend you, Alice, for just being honest about it. Mm -hmm. That's how we grow. Mm -hmm. We put our we we grow not by pretending these these things are not inside of us. So here here would be the wrong approach. You recognize that really judgmental, unkindness, self-righteous thing in you, and you say, well, I'm not supposed to think that, so I'm going to bury that and put on a face, a facade that that seems non-judgmental because that's what I'm supposed to do. That is a recipe for, for hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. You are doing exactly the right thing, Alice, which is to acknowledge this is in my heart, mm -hmm to seek counsel from people you trust. We thank you for trusting us with your question and to put it into the light, put it into the light. This is in my heart, Lord. And of course, go to confession with this. That's where we experience the sacramental grace of his mercy. Mm -hmm. Put it in the light with a good confessor, Alice, and just say it as it is and trust that God's healing mercies will, will enter those places that need it most. You and I both have experienced this kind of a situation and people close to us in our lives of, you know, a pregnancy, not um, in a marriage, and know that, that there are complicated feelings yes. that go along with that. You know, these are your friends, and you've already probably been struggling over there living together, and it, it gets complicated when you are feeling asked to somehow um, express approval for their relationship by rejoicing with them over this baby. Right. And the, the complexity of that situation, you know, is is part of the whole big mixed bag of emotions that we can feel at a time like this. And um, I think some of the tears that we tend to shed often in private when we hear this news or when we're thinking on it and feeling just the heaviness is is fruitful is is intercessory is is prayerful and and okay it's okay to cry um, and to let out those feelings that we have and frustration we may have with our friends and all of those things and yet yes the lord is wanting to bring grace in their parents in the in the lives of this couple and and you want to be a channel of that in their lives so the more you clear up that channel in your own heart, as Christopher was saying, going to confession and not holding on to the um, judgmental unkindness, 
and allowing then your heart to be open to what is the Lord's heart for this couple, you, you, we can't know, you know, your unique relationship with them, but we can encourage you that he wants grace to flow through you, through your um, interaction with them and with their babies. So just continue to hold you in our prayers and, um, yeah, encourage you to ask the Lord to give you his heart for this couple and praying for them. I have two more thoughts to share with Alice. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, Alice, I'd invite you to read through the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew and look up some of those characters. There, There is fornication, there's prostitution, there's mm-hmm. adultery in the family line of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that is a sign of great hope for us. Jesus is not afraid of our mess. He's not afraid to enter right into it. That's what he came to do, to enter into our mess. Alice, I know this from my own life, that when I'm struggling to show God's mercy to others, it's an indication of my need for God's mercy. You cannot give what you do not have. Um, When we find it difficult to be merciful towards others, it's usually a sign that we're not very merciful towards ourselves. So take that to prayer, Alice, and see if see if there's some area, certainly there is, because there is in all of our lives, an area of your life where you need to know the Lord's mercy, an area in your life where you maybe need to forgive yourself, and let that mercy that you have then received flow out of you towards this couple. Another anonymous question. This questioner says, I live in Scotland. Scotland. And I've been following your podcast for some time now. I'm always amazed at how gentle and respectful you are to each other. It is inspiring and something which is missing in my marriage. I have been addicted to pornography from my teens. The only time I realized the seriousness of my sin was when I met my wife and God put the desire on my heart to be a good husband and good father to my children. I wanted to stop, but 10 years later, I still fall back into this sin. I want to love my wife the way God has called me to, to be the hero in her life. Mm. I feel a heavy burden to make her feel loved. Mm. And I know she can't feel loved while I'm choosing other women or images. Where do I start? God bless you, dear brother. God bless you, dear brother. You've already started. Let me say it. Let me affirm it in you, brother. You have already started. You are on the journey because you desire the healing. That's that's already an amazing work of grace. Mm. I would say this to you, dear Scottish brother, and I have some Scottish blood in my veins as well, so who knows, maybe we're related somehow. <laughs> I would say this to you, my dear Scottish brother, that it's going to be a long journey. I, I, would, I would advise wise counsel in terms of going to a counselor, a therapist. It sounds like this addiction developed early on in your life, and there are always, there's a trail here. There's a, there's a map in our hearts that makes our addictions make sense, mm-hmm. and inevitably it goes back to wounds, unmet needs, patterns that started very early on in our life to self-soothe. Uh, I'm not a, a therapist myself. I don't want to 
pretend that I am in terms of, of trying to diagnose you, but I want to paint a realistic picture for you, brother. Freedom is real. Freedom is possible. But you, you have to commit to the journey. Um, educate yourself. I'm reading a book right now called Unwanted. And uh, I'm forgetting the, the author's name, forgive me. Uh, it's a Protestant author, but it's, it's making the rounds now, even in Catholic circles. Um, a priest friend of mine recommended that I read it. And uh, I, it's funny, it was one of those books I opened up, so, oh, this looks really interesting. And then I realized, oh, yeah, I endorsed this book. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten that I had reviewed a copy years ago and, and given an endorsement. But anyway, so I'm, I'm reading it in earnest. And, and this, this therapist who wrote the book, and forgive me, I can't remember his name. I think his last name is Stringer. Anyway, we'll have the link in the show notes to get yourself a copy of this book. Unwanted, how it's the subtitle, something like how our sexual brokenness reveals, um, is like a map to our hearts or something mm -hmm. like that. It's very insightful. Um, he, he he's he's helping me and i've been in this field for you know 25 years but he's he's shining a new light for me on the like the type of pornography a person is attracted to tells a story about that person's wounds um and i again i don't want to try to go in and diagnose this person's wounds that's not our role here in this podcast but uh brother expose yourself to what good materials are out there to help you, like this book, Unwanted. Um, immerse yourself in the theology of the body. Don't just listen to this podcast, which I, I, I hope is helpful to you. Um, keep listening, of course, but read Theology of the Body for Beginners. Uh, read it maybe 10 pages a week, and then have your wife read 10 pages a week, and then talk about it. Mm -hmm. Bring out into the light the the memories that it stirs, the questions that it stirs. There are Reflection questions at the end of each of the chapters in Theology of the Body for Beginners. Um, I think that could be very helpful to you. Take a course on the Theology of the Body. Uh, none of these things is a silver bullet. There's not going to be, oh, this one thing will cure you. Mm. But cumulatively, it will give you a new vision. We ha There is a legitimate hunger in your heart that you are feeding w illegitimately uh, in, a, in an unhealthy, unhelpful way. Once those hungers are more understood and are fed in an appropriate way, the grip of the addiction will will lessen. I'm so touched by the sincerity of this question, and the there's a certain feeling of of almost desperation. Like I, I so have this desire given to me. I know it's from God to love my wife. Yes, and I, yet, I, it's so clear. I hear it so beautifully yeah. in your heart. So it's a really that's inspiring in itself, and um, that you've already heard the Lord's call on your life, and I think you're seeing that the pornography hasn't prepared you to fulfill that calling. Just in plain and simple terms, your attention and your imagination have been turned toward things that kind of incapacitate you for the thing you most want right. to do, and it's not something you're willing to give up on. And so you have to accept your current state as it is and your need for grace, your need for help, and then take steps. And I think I'm glad you're listening to our podcast. And as Christopher said, more steps need to be taken. Um, but recognize that the, the deep longing to love your wife is 
a beautiful gift that you can thank the Lord for planting that more deeply in your heart than the hold of this pornography. Even if you, you aren't free yet to trust that that good desire is a deeper reality. And the Lord put it there and he's mightier than all the things that come against it. And so to just allow yourself, even in this place of almost desperation, to realize that that in itself is a grace because it, it can cause you to say, I need to make this a priority. I need to make a change. I need help. I need to enlist my wife's help. I need to get help from counseling and from all kinds of whatever resources that you know, most reach your heart, some that we've mentioned or others that are out there. So yeah, here's one that we didn't mention that I, I will. Matt Frad has a, a some kind of, it's like a 30 day detox program or something. And we'll put a link to that in, in the show notes as mm -hmm. well. You might want to look into that. And I'll, I'll share a story from my own life here, dear Scottish brother. Uh, when you and I got married, Wendy, 25 years ago, I I was going to be the best husband in the world, and I just knew it. <laughs> I have a high five. You go. You go. I, I so desired, really, to be the best husband in the world. That's awesome. What a great desire. Yeah, it's a great desire. But, man, did I underestimate my own weaknesses and brokenness and how that was going to get in the way of my fulfilling my desire. And I have, I have come to learn, and I'm still learning, it's a painful lesson that you have to learn over and over again, that I really don't have this great strength to offer you. What I have to offer you, what I have to offer the Lord, is my weakness. That is such a hard lesson, especially for men, uh, because we've been trained to think weakness makes us weak. Well, it's kind of logical. Weakness makes you weak. But then there's this crazy paradox in the gospel. St. Paul talks about when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That weakness opened up to the Lord makes us strong. Mm. My real sin was self-reliance in my desire to want to be this great husband for you. And then when my self-reliance failed me, then I beat the crap out of myself because my self-reliance is unreliable. So when we're in that cycle of continual failure and self-loathing, we get in a cycle of of looking for something to relieve my pain, and that's where our addictions can really flare up. So, brother, know that what you have to offer your wife is not some self-accomplished strength. What you have to offer your wife is your weakness. And as strange as it may sound, that's how you grow in strength in loving her, by opening that weakness to the Lord and letting the Lord love her through you. That is the path. I'm by no means um, figured this out. I'm on the journey like any man. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting with you and for you, brother, in my own journey. So let's keep one another in our prayers. This is a question from Emma. Hi, Emma. She says, can you tell me why the pleasure of climax seems more in God's plan for men than for women? It is necessary for procreation for men to have a climax, but not for women. It's wonderful of men to be virtuous, like JP2 said, and give pleasure to their wife. But why would God leave the pleasure of women to the virtue of men and not vice versa? Hmm, well, I... 
it's an interesting way to put it. I don't know that I would see it that way, that, that the Lord has left the pleasure of women to men, but not vice versa. There is, there is a, you know, we have to uh, approach this delicately, obviously. Uh, yes. Uh, but there is a, a complementarity in being male and female that allows the pleasure of one to become the pleasure of the other and vice versa. It's the very complementarity of our anatomy that that which is pleasurable to one becomes pleasurable for the other and the joy of the one becomes the joy of the other. It doesn't always work that way. Um, but l- let me see if I can approach the, the one aspect of her question that I think has some, some curiosity surrounding it in God's plan. I've certainly wondered myself. It's right in canon law that the marital embrace is not consummated, or the marital embrace doesn't come to its fulfillment until the male seed is given in the woman's vagina. That's the marital embrace. That's the anatomy of the marital act. That's how it all works. That's how a marriage is consummated. Okay. If uh, To put it frankly and rather technically, if the male semen is not deposited in the woman's vagina, then you have... Uh, You've not consummated the marriage. It's only consummated at that moment. Interestingly, the canon law does not say that the female climax is required. What is required is the male climax. And that is because, as she herself points out, the giving of semen, which is integral to the male climax, is the means by which children are conceived. Mm -hmm. Uh, there is also a biological purpose to the female climax that aids in the sperm reaching mm-hmm. the egg. And when you study that, when you begin to see that, when you understand all that complementarity, it's so beautiful. It's so intricate. It's so truly awesome. Mm-hmm. We are made for one another. It is so evident. And these are the kind of things that we are blind to in the modern world when we view sexual activity through what I've called in previous episodes condom-colored glasses, mm-hmm. where our, our eyes are, are blinded by condom-colored glasses. This intricacy of the complementarity of the sexes and how our respective anatomies are so clearly made for one another, and they have a goal, which is for sperm to meet egg. Mm. When we are trying to prevent sperm meeting egg, it changes the whole geography, if you will, of what sexuality is come to, how we come to see what sexuality is all about. So I don't know that I'm doing a good job answering her question, but there is a, a, I will admit, there's a kind of conundrum. There is a true sexual difference here. Mm. It's just part of the way God has designed us, that the male climax is required for procreation to take place, mm-hmm. whereas the female climax is not required for procreation to take place. It helps, it aids in it, mm. but it's not required. I don't know how to answer that other than to say, God, you designed us this way, and there's a beauty in the difference. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing that we are different. If we weren't different, none of us would exist because it's that difference that brings life into the world. A culture that 
that sees that difference as fundamentally antagonistic or fundamentally unjust is a culture that has normalized our fallen world. And by that I mean we haven't gone back to the original harmony of how God designed us. The war between the sexes, the tension, the friction, the pain, the struggle. Uh, We have to remember Jesus' words, in the beginning it was not so. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, Jesus says, because he couldn't solve the hardness of your heart. But in the beginning it was not so. There was no hardness of heart. In the beginning, before sin, the differences were not seen as an antagonism or a source of conflict. They were seen as a source of communion. Mm -hmm. They were seen as the path and the way that led to a holy communion. So all of the differences are meant to lead us to a holy communion, but we are in need of a deep interior healing of that hardness of heart in order to see those differences as a gift. I feel like the question gets at a certain feeling of frustration and maybe a anger at God about some frustration Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. our just imperfect marital embrace. Yeah. And it is imperfect. And, you know, the, there also could be some message from the culture, which tries to tell us that, you know, any way in which we're different is somehow something we should fight against. And so, you know, we, we could be absorbing that without really realizing it. Good point. I think, there's something to be said for a satisfaction taken in the joy of simply being united, even if climax doesn't occur. And that could be for either one, because we all have physical limitations. Right. And yet there there's some joy of the closeness that is fulfilling in its own way. So, you know, as you said, it's a delicate topic to talk about. Right. But I do think, you know, here we are, we're living in this world where our sexual relationship is affected by the fall. It's not perfect. And as we long for it to be perfect, we may think, well, how come, how come it's not this? How come it's not that? If God made it and it's good, how come it's not perfect? Right, right. You know, and there we are, we're seeing like, it's, it's because we're in a fallen world. We're longing for what, you know, was perfect before the fall or will come in heaven and right now we're we're not there yet and yet we can still take comfort and delight in knowing that the grace is coming to us that the lord is continually helping us to love one another and i also was touched by your questioning the the pleasure of men is not left to the virtue of women i think there could be kind of an overly physicalized look at what is Um, truly meaningful even to a man, you know, Mm -hmm. and to know that what is the longing of of his deepest heart does depend on his, the virtue of his wife truly loving him. I can speak here from experience that in times when the imperfection of our union has been on display in a particularly uh, vulnerable way or difficult Mm -hmm. way, Allowing myself to be loved by you in that place is profoundly healing. And it leads to what is really desired, which is to be loved Mm -hmm. with all of our imperfections on display. That's what we desire. 
it's it's not the picture that is painted in the movies. In fact, the real picture is much more beautiful than what's ever painted in in the movies because it's real. It's real human beings loving each other mm -hmm. in their real humanity. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. If you know somebody who needs to hear what you've heard today in this podcast, we would invite you to click that share button and and help us get the word out about this podcast. We would be grateful if you've been blessed to help us reach a wider audience with this podcast. And we'd also be grateful if you have been blessed by our work at the Theology of the Body Institute. Click on the link in the show notes to learn more about becoming a patron of this work. We have some really exciting things on the horizon for our patrons. And when it is time to announce that, I look forward to it. But just even $5 a month as a patron of this work goes a long way in helping us to reach the world with John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Uh, we love being in this with you. We look forward to being with you again on our next episode. We love you. Pray for us. We're praying for you. You're a gift to us. We want to be a gift to you. We want you to know really and truly, it's not just our sign-off. We want you to know that you are indispensable. You are irreplaceable. You are an unrepeatable gift of life and love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.